0: As believers, we recognize the significance of Israel in God's plan. It is a land of great historical and spiritual importance. However, the ongoing unrest and conflicts that have been happening lately have been disturbing and disheartening. So what can we as Christians do? Today we're going to look at five things that Christians can do to pray for peace in the Middle East here on Soul Zero Two. (laughs) Soul Zero Two And welcome to Soul Zero Two. This is the podcast that is putting the oxygen back into the Christian life one soul at a time. And our goal today is to talk about Israel again. Um, I had other things I wanted to share the past few weeks, but since this this uh, explosion in the Middle East that has happened of violence and all these things, I felt like... You know, we need to know how to pray and how to t- how to think about it, how to talk about it, and so I want to talk to you today about igniting hope. Five things Christians can do to pray for peace in the Middle East, and my goal is to just just jump right in. So, what I want to do today is is begin by reading some scripture. But first, I want to kind of imagine that this is the newspaper today, but except this is. A, Maybe 2,500 years ago, and how it feels like when you read it, it feels like aspects of reading the newspaper today or, or online news, so to speak. And that's from Zechariah uh, 1 or, uh, 12 1 through 9. And whether this already happened apocalyptically or will happen, the current events in Israel are eerily similar to today's events of what is happening in the world. So, with that said, I want to talk about uh, Israel and these scriptures. Let's put the scripture up for you. And I'll read them very quickly for you. It says, The revelation of the word of the Lord concerning Israel, the Lord who stretches out the heavens and lays the foundations of the earth, who forms the human spirit within a person, says, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup that brings dizziness to all the surrounding nations. Indeed, Judah will also be included when Jerusalem is besieged. Moreover, on that day i will make jerusalem a heavy burden for all the nations and all who try to carry it out to, to carry it will seriously will be seriously injured yet all the peoples of the earth will be assembled against it then in verse 4 he says in that day says the lord i will strike every horse now substitute the word tanks or you know modern technology for horses because it's the same idea that was high tech in those days And he says, he's going to strike every horse with confusion and its rider with madness. I will pay close attention to the house of Judah, but will strike all the horses of the nations with blindness. Right Then in verse 5, he says, Then the leaders of Judah will say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem are a means of strength to us through their God and the Lord who rules over all. Then verse 6, On that day I will make the leaders of Judah like an igniter among sticks and a burning torch among sheaves. And let me skip a little bit to verse 7. Uh, the Lord will also deliver the homes of Judah first, so that the splendor of his, of the kingship of David and of the peoples of Jerusalem may not exceed that of Judah. On that day, the Lord himself will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the weakest among them will Will be like the mighty David, and the dynasty of Israel will be like God, like the angel of the Lord be before them. So on that day, I will set out to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. And I read that because it, when you read aspects of it, it's kind of scary. It's it's it feels like now, you know, like some of this stuff you feel now. And uh, what's important to to realize is is that. There are all these these moving pieces that are happening, uh, but first, what is happening in in these scriptures? I read nine verses, and what is happening here? Very quickly, Jerusalem becomes a flashpoint for world conflict. It's hopelessly outnumbered, and Jerusalem finds itself it finds itself opposed and surrounded by all nations. Does that sound a little familiar right now? As the battle unfolds, Jerusalem experiences victory in a reversal of circumstances that shocks all nations, and this is what happened. What Zechariah predicts the scope of the battle points to the universal struggle between good and evil and the ultimate victory by the Lord's hands and the shape and texture of these verses feel apocalyptic they feel like they were not just speaking of the Middle East then but about the Middle East now and so there are these these moving pieces that that speak of what God is doing He has moving pieces in a puzzle. And in this puzzle, we find that the first thing is that all nations will gather against Jerusalem, right? And and again, in in verse 1, it says, I will make Jerusalem a heavy burden for all the nations and all who try to carry it will be seriously injured, yet all the people of the earth will be assembled against it. There's something disturbing about the scripture. The idea that, that... that Jerusalem again becomes a flashpoint of what God is doing apocalyptically for the world, not just for a nation. But secondly, we find we find this thought that it is God's doing. And again, God is allowing this for his purposes, and none can oppose it. Isaiah uh, 45 9 puts it this way one who argues with his creator is in grave danger the clay should not say to the powder what in the world are you doing your work lacks skill and this is speaking of humans speaking to god but also there's this that god will make israel immovable and it immovable literally means a heavy rock that nations cannot budge And again, it's not because of the might of Israel or because their technological prowess or their strength or because they're special. It's because of who God is. It's always based on what God is doing. And a question that came to my mind that, and I've heard people ask this question as well, that, but isn't Israel a secular liberal democracy? And if so, you know, liberal meaning they have the same stuff we have, you know, they they have... They have pornography, they have LGBT, LGBTQ, the whole thing, you know. And um, if so, why would God defend them, right? And, and the answer is very simple. When you read all through the scriptures, the one word you get is covenant. God has a covenant with Israel. And that a covenant has nothing to do with their character, but it, the covenant has everything to do with what God will do in the future and what his goal for them is. And there's a scripture that speaks of God defending his interests in Israel, and, and that's Joel 3.16. The Lord roars from Zion, from Jerusalem. His voice bellows out. The heavens and the earth shake, but the Lord is a refuge for his people. He is a stronghold for the citizens of Israel. And this is an amazing thing. And this does not make Palestinians bad. Because there are innocent Palestinians. But it, it just means that God protects what belongs to Him when, when people attack Him. And these scriptures show that the Lord is powerful enough to carry out what He says He will do and in the process, astound the world. But we also have this part of, of the movie piece. God has the future of Israel and the world in mind when He does all this. And again, there's that verse in Zechariah 12.10, I will pour out on the kingship of David... And the population of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication, so that they will look to me, the one they have pierced. Does that sound familiar in terms of when you look at Jesus on the cross, that they pierced him, right? In Isaiah uh, for, uh, uh, 53, and they pierced him, right? It says he was pierced for our transgressions. And we find that that uh, that this, this scripture is about Israel embracing Messiah eventually this is the goal here god has his plan and purposes and, and and salvation has already gone to all the nations but god's own people where it started where he revealed himself still in general do not know him and so with that what what are five things we can do five things christians can do in this season in terms of when we pray and when we do all these things the first thing is is this frame frame it uh, frame it through god's sovereignty Frame what you're seeing in the Middle East through God's sovereignty. And again, I'm going to read uh, this scripture to you. And this is verses 1 and 2 of Zechariah chapter 12. That It's very powerful, but you need to look at it. In in this context, it says, The Lord who stretches out the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth, who forms the human spirit within a person. Just those three things I'm going to give you. And we find that that these things speak of divine sovereignty, which divine sovereignty is defined this way. God's all-encompassing rule over the entire universe, that's sovereignty. And think of King Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, when he was arrogant, he was powerful, he had subdued all nations, including Israel at the time. But when you read the scriptures, prophets predicted that that would happen because God was punishing Israel. It wasn't because God was weak, but because God was punishing Israel at the time for, for rebellion. But Nebuchadnezzar, after he's arrogant, God turns him into an animal in his mind, where, where he, he, was, he was outside living like an animal with rain coming on him and just everything. Suddenly he looks up after a year of, of being this way because God is judging him for arrogance. And then he says this. He says, For his authority meaning God's authority, is an everlasting authority, and his kingdom extends from one generation to the next. All the inhabitants of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he wishes with the army of heaven. And with those who inhabit the earth, no one slaps his hand and says to him, what have you done? And this is a powerful scripture when you think about it. And there are three quick parts of God's sovereignty. I want to fly through this because it's kind of, you know, I don't want to keep this too long, but uh, according to Zechariah 1, and really it's verse 2 as well, but uh, The first part is the Lord who stretches out the heavens. This is the first part of God's sovereignty. And that speaks of the universe. The second part is... And and, and think about this. uh, It's the the power that spans the universe, right? And this speaks of creation. It speaks of what God did in Genesis 1 and 2. And no part of the universe exists where the Lord's active role in, in its formation Uh, doesn't exist. God is everywhere. He's always working. He's always creating. But then there's the earth. It speaks about, He he lays the foundation of the earth. And it speaks of the idea that God builds a mighty edifice as a master builder. And He's doing something that brings glory to His own name. And in all the shaking that is happening, and, and, and has happened through history, the Lord is building something for His eternal purposes. And that's why it says in uh, Hebrews twelve twenty six. It says, "I will once more shake not only the earth but heaven too." Now this phrase "once more" indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is of created things, so that what is unshaken may remain. Th- th- that's a that's a kind of a secret as, uh, as to why things are shaken, so that one what shouldn't stay falls away, but what should stay remains. And the and the third part of his, of the sovereignty is spiritual, uh, the spirit of humanity rather it uh, says who forms the human spirit within a person. it moves from the wider scope of creation and the universe to the personal and intimate relationship with the Lord. And human beings and, and that's the beauty of this that god always brings it down down on our level so that we get it God cares for what happens to humanity and i know and i believe if you read the scriptures faithfully that god's heart grieves over the pain god stretches out he lays he forms and these are present participles participles in the grammar that speak of constant creative power happening in the universe so so that first thing was frame it through God's sovereignty. But the second thing I want to give is this. Find out what the Bible says about Israel. It's that simple. Let's deepen our understanding of the situation. Don't learn by hearing the news or or seeing the news. Study the scriptures and learn about the historical and biblical significance of Israel. This will enable us to pray and respond more effectively. This gives us the 30,000 foot view of what is happening. And we, we find simply that that uh, it shows us that something is happening that is larger than we can see. But thirdly, feel the pain on both sides. I, I've mentioned this before, but I want to say it again, that uh, I just saw a an MSNBC article that accused Christians of only caring for Israel because it serves their own Christian nationalist tendencies. And that is simply is not true. There are too many Christians that I know whose hearts are broken for all that is happening in the Middle East not just in Israel but also in Palestine and they're praying that God fixes it that peace comes and that God's kingdom will come so these caricatures are, just don't really work all suffering breaks the heart of God and it should break our heart It should we should feel what God feels if we really know Him pray every day that God's hand would be working in the Middle East to bring closure to this and as Christians our response should always be rooted in love But we're almost done here. Number four, form faith into action. You might say, what can we do for Israel or Palestine? You know, our church this this past week just took up an offering, just like a lot of churches are doing all over. And we're going to send it to the Middle East because that's where the need is. And let's do the opposite of what the cultures of hate are saying. Uh, Many of them are just angry and and violent and they, they just... You know, it's very one-sided. Uh, engage in the acts of kindness and compassion towards those affected by this situation. Whether it's partnering with organizations on the ground or or offering practical help, we can push back the hopelessness in the world. And if you want to help Palestinians, you know, Doctors Without Borders are probably already there and and helping them with, with their gifting. And we can support that cause. If you want to help Israel, there's the... Joseph Project, great. And and there's other many other projects. And there's also Samaritan's Purse that help both. So it's amazing what we can do to get involved. But the last thing I want to give you is this. Forsake the fear narratives. And I say that because often when you only go by what you hear or see on the news, uh, you can be afraid and restless. But I want to end with this scripture that's beautiful, that that it it simply says this. Let's make it bigger. It says... There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. If you like this podcast, please leave a like and recommend it to a friend and subscribe to this channel because we're trying to grow it. And thank you so much for listening and thank you for your comments. God bless.